Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we're honored for the fourth time we get to talk to George Gilder about his new book. It literally just came out this Tuesday, Life After Capitalism. Hey, Ed, how's it going? It's going great, Ron. I'm going to talk real fast so you can get to George. Awesome. Well, I, there's no way to do George uh, any any justice, but just George Gilder is one of America's leading economic and technological thinkers. He's the author of many groundbreaking, book, groundbreaking books, including Wealth and Poverty, Knowledge and Power, The Scandal of Money, Life After Google, and of course, his latest one, Life After Capitalism. He's a founding fellow of the Discovery Institute. And he lives with his wife on his family farm in Western Massachusetts. George, welcome back to the Soul of Enterprise. Great to be. I've been with the Soul of Enterprise for 40, 50 years. And great to be on your show. Well, George, you named this show. We took it from the spirit of enterprise. We just changed one word. But uh, you've had an enormous impact on my life. Uh, I think I've told you many times, but back in 1981, I remember laying on the couch reading Wealth and Poverty, and I was in second year college, and it just upended my world. You did the same thing with this new book, Life After Capitalism. You have launched a new economic theory based on information theory. Well, thank you. I'm really gratified to hear that you appreciate it that way. That is a a very important endorsement to me. (laughs) Well, you, you know, you, you're overturning the conventional wisdom in economics. I mean, we've had Steven Landsberg on the show, and he's famous for a line, incentives matter, the yeah. rest is commentary, and information theory is a new paradigm, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <clears throat> and it's the foundation for the information economy. And we're in an information economy, so why not have an information economics to explain justify and prophesy the future of it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you lay out four uh, canonical propositions and, and I'll just, I'll just let you talk about each one of them. The wealth is knowledge and, and so forth. Yeah. Well, wealth is knowledge. We all know really that wealth is knowledge. The atoms in the universe are, are essentially infinite. Uh, and they are the basis of all material. But uh, the material resources of the caveman, as Tom Sowell observed in 1971 or something, the caveman had all the material resources that we have today. The difference between our age and the Stone Age is entirely the growth of knowledge. Wealth is knowledge. And economic, if wealth is knowledge, what is economic growth? Uh, for growth, 
has to be learning, right? Growth is learning. And for decades, uh, I've been fascinated by the learning curve. It, it turns out that <clears throat> that uh, with every dub doubling of total units sold, costs tend to drop by between 20 and 30%. That's the learning curve. And learning curves have been documented across all the way across the economy. Uh, there um, but insurance policies sold, uh, lines of software code, transistors on microchips, trucking miles, tons of coal. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, with every doubling of total units, produced and sold you get you get a, a drop in costs of 20 to 30 percent so all this talk about inflation being the natural condition is banished by this one great insight and the third key principle is that information <laughs> and Entrepreneurship really is a process of creating new information and thus enriching that tapestry of knowledge that comprises all wealth. Information is surprise. And this is Claude Shannon's basic proposition of information theory that makes it possible to uh, measure and thus control the propagation of information across the global inter internet. Information is unexpected bits. Surprise is the measure of information and of entrepreneurial upsides. And money is what remains scarce when everything else grows abundant. Money is time. You'll hear all kinds of other definitions of money as a commodity and money is this and that. Money is an instrument of sovereignty. It's uh, all these claims. But money is not a commodity. Money is a measuring stick. It's not a magic wand for rulers. It's a measuring stick for entrepreneurs that translates the scarcity of time across all the transactions of a global economy. And so those are, those are sort of, those are the basic principles. Wealth is knowledge, growth is learning, information is surprise, money is time, are the key propositions of the information economy. And our economy, all capitalism, capitalist economies. And what's great about this, George, is you, especially the wealth is knowledge and the growth is learning. I mean, Adam Smith attributed our wealth to the division specialization of labor, but you're saying, no, it's really the, the, the spread of knowledge yeah, is what yeah. really caused the wealth. Yeah. That, that's why you can't redistribute wealth and wealth. Uh, if you redistribute wealth, it disappears. Uh, <laughs> um, Wealth is knowledge, it's in people's minds, not in some uh, material resource in the ground or, uh, or in Washington.
And you say information is surprise. I mean, I love the way you say, if you tell me what I already know, you, you haven't entertained me. You haven't talked, you've bored me. We expect entrepreneurs to surprise us to create creativity and innovation by definition are surprises. That's right. Yeah. uh, Creativity always comes as a surprise to us. If it didn't, as Albert Hirschman, the late Princeton economist said, if it didn't surprise us, we wouldn't need it, and government planning would work. Uh, But uh, Hirschman did a study of all the government plans and projects all around the world uh, for for the World Bank. And he found that uh, you know, government planned uh, projects, every now and then uh, they would work, uh, but uh, that was only because there was some unexpected entrepreneurial development re- related to them. And all his scrutiny of government plans around the whole world, he didn't find any that could be demonstrably success that were demonstrably successful. Um, it was only the surprising ones, the creative ones, and creativity is defined as surprising outcomes. Uh, those are the only ones that uh, succeeded. And George, with all of this, I love the way you you, you said this. You said that uh, as glo- as a global surge of capitalist abundance liberates the poor, capitalism's critics have found a new capitalist victim: the Earth itself. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, all uh, people bl- imagine that uh, humans are just mouths that we uh, we just eat resources. And uh, and since there's a limited endowment of resources on the planet, everybody imagines, economics tends to be a zero-sum game where the gains of one person mean that somebody else is losing out. And, uh, and, and we're running down and running out. But uh, the fact is human beings are not just mouths. They're also minds. As, as Julian Simon put it, he's a great economist from Maryland who wrote the ultimate resource is human beings. And Elon Musk pretty much quoted him the other day, the mm. ultimate resource is human beings and we don't have enough of them, mm. was Musk's complaint to man all his Tesla factories around the world. And so, so we... Uh, but uh, uh, resources are, it's mind over matter, as I see the book you wrote before, which I quoted in Knowledge and Power. And, uh, and that's a, an essential principle of, of the information theory of economics. You also wrote that atoms are abundant and, fr- and, and free. It, all forms of energy are essentially free. We have a hundred trillion dollar global economy and it's based on silicon and silicon is dirt cheap because it is dirt. Yeah. It, yeah. It's the yeah. knowledge well, that's, right. that's costly, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's knowledge that uh, wealth is knowledge. And as Gordon Moore observed, 
the entire computer age is based on the three most common resources in the Earth's crust. Silicon, oxygen, and aluminum. The wires tend to be aluminum. Uh, um, and then there's a surface oxidization of the silicon substrate. And that's the microchip. And it's all its value derives from its from its from the knowledge infused in it. Uh, the sand is not, is uh, pretty much worthless, most unless it's uh, processed into perfectly crystalline silicon and uh, or silica for fiber optics. Uh, all our communication systems they aren't really based on. <coughs> value on scarce natural resources. They're based on sand, silica. And uh, silica so pure, crystalline silica so pure that if you, uh, if it was a window, it could be as long as Long Island and you could see perfectly through it. That's the basis of the fiber optic lines that tie the world together at terabits a second, trillions of bits a second. And, and George, oh, go ahead. Well, just uh, the essence is wealth is knowledge. That's what to keep in mind. And that means that you can't, you can propagate knowledge and make, the only way you can uh, really redistribute wealth is to teach people and then accumulated knowledge of the civilization. And and, and failure is a big part of that for learning in, 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 a, in the free market, right? Because each business yeah. is a testable hypothesis. That's exactly right. It's a test of an entrepreneurial idea. And it's got to be able to fail or it can't really succeed. It can't... Uh, produce new knowledge if the outcome is guaranteed. Uh, it's only uh, open processes that can generate new knowledge. And if we guarantee it, we, we block learning, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we get, and if we redistribute it, we destroy it. Fantastic. Well, George, this is flying by. I knew it would. Unfortunately, we're up against our first break. And folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. We'll have full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com with our chat today with George Gilder. And also, you can check out our Patreon channel that and become a member and get bonus episodes. That's at patreon.com slash TSOE. And that channel is sponsored by 90 Minds. Be kind to your mind, hire one. Check them out at 90minds.com. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. 
Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Yes, and we are back on the Solar Enterprise today with George Gilder, who's the author of the new book, Life After Capitalism. And uh, George, I, ch- I did finish reading the book, but I cheated a little. On my drive here to Tennessee, I listened to part of it. So, But kudos, oh, to, the, yeah. kudos to the person that you had uh, read it. He did a great job. Is um, that right? Who, do you know who it was? I, I, I can't recall uh, off the top of my head, but he, he I did haven't, it. I haven't, I haven't heard the audio. Version. Oh, okay. <laughs> we got to give it a listen. He did. He did. He uh, definitely did it justice. Um, okay. I, I want to ask you, in the in your your previous work, you had pre- talked about wealth equals knowledge, growth equals learning, and money equals time. And this time you've added the fourth part of the stool, which is information is surprise. Why did that have to get added in? What was what, When did that come well, to you? Well, it's uh, Claude Shannon defined, inf- who, and Claude Shannon is really the father of the information age. He, he integrated all the dimensions of in- information, both Biological, his first um, master's thesis or whatever at MIT was on genetic information. And he later defined the bit and the byte and uh, measured information and in all communication systems. And he, me- he defined information as unexpected bits. If everything I tell you today, you already know, there is no information being transmitted. It's uh, the unexpected bits. And so, and that's, and uh, surprise is another way of defining unexpected bits. And what really pinned it down for me was Shannon's definition of the information content of a message by the degrees of freedom the originator of the message commanded. In other words, the more possibilities, the bigger the alphabet, the greater 
uh, portfolio of ideas, whatever it was, the symbols, the, the amount of information that could be transmitted was determined by the degrees of freedom commanded by the source of the information. And in economics, this means the degrees of freedom of the entrepreneur who actually is generating the new knowledge and learning that constitutes wealth. Love that answer. And I want to ask you also, why, you mentioned this with Ron, I want to pick up on it. Why is it so important to not think of money or time as a resource? Because um, the foundation of all information theory, in my judgment, is Kurt Gödel's uncertainty principle, which Alan Turing, the inventor of the computer architecture, really, and John von Neumann uh, extended to computation. But the incompleteness principle of Gödel says that any logical system is necessarily dependent on axioms outside the system that can't be proven within the system. And, and, as, and uh, Turing, and, and the only reason anybody heard about Gödel, who was a 24-year-old unknown graduate student at the time when he wrote this paper in Konigsberg uh, in 1931, was that John von Neumann, who was the leading expert in mathematics and who was trying to develop a complete system of mathematics that could encompass and explain the new quantum theory was in the audience. And, he, uh, and he's a test of a really great man, his, a man who can change his mind when exposed to uh, a lapidary canonical new uh, achievement of knowledge, and he did. He saw, he saw that uh, Gödel had proved his incompleteness theory by creating a kind of software system. He he uh, he he uh, used or the software language all expressed in numbers, and uh, so. In the course of proving that mathematics could not be a complete system that could explain everything. And Turing showed that it, really there are very few things that it actually can explain in detail. It's not a determinist scheme. But uh, uh, he, he showed that uh, he saw that Turing, that uh, Gödel had really invented software, and it, it meant that, uh, and uh, Turing called it an oracle. All logical systems are dependent on oracles outside the system, and this programmers, it, they turned out to be, and uh, computer scientists are now forgetting all these foundations of their science. They, they believe that uh, AI systems are mine somehow. It, it, it's just incredible uh, vanity and of the of the new generation of computer scientists who, who don't understand their own 
discipline. But anyway. Well, I was actually going to go there in the second segment I have with you, but oh, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you oh, now well, about no, this no. whole AI thing. Well. <laughs> so, um, because you know, one as as I've been thinking about this, one of the things that I think has struck me is that if you, we are the creators of AI, that's I think that's fair to say that human beings are the creators of AI. Absolutely. And the I think part of the problem with many of these folks is that if if they believe that AI is going to become sentient. They also have to believe that we must have had a creator as well. And I think that's what's giving them this, this cognitive dissonance. That, that uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a fascinating idea. I haven't heard that before, but that's a fascinating idea. What I've said is their vanity comes from their assumption that there was no creator for the human mind, that the human mind just bubbled up from the fluctuations of atoms over the millennia and uh, and millions of millennia and and uh, so we're completely a product of randomness and natural selection and surely a brilliant Stanford educated or Caltech disciplined computer scientist can make a better mind than some random process of of uh, evolution so this is the uh, uh, that's what I think. I mean, it's just the it's having no idea what the human mind is 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 the heart of the problem. Well, and and that's saying if you know if if we if we pre, pre, create something that becomes sentient, then there must have been something that created us that became sentient. So it becomes like this. this well, this. that's a good point. You're, that's a, that's the class principle, and it's very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you for that. But but you know, I, th- I think w- one of the things I also heard is, well, if that's also true, <laughs> this is crazy. We're going to have to create a theology for it. <laughs> yeah, right. Which they're doing. They're, they're pretty much doing. They they think the government has to supply that. Though. Well, that's what I'm saying. The, the regulation be- is is effectively the theology to them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> So anyway, but th- yeah, thank you. But what it is, what you have to understand about AI, it's just shuffling label. Imagine that your sole experience of the world was label. You never saw any actual real thing or object. You only saw labels and you could uh, shuffle these labels and interconnect them and see patterns among the labels at uh, trillions of times a second. So you could do awesome prestidigitation, as it were. But in fact, uh, as Charles Sanders Peirce, the great American philosopher from the early 20th century showed, reality is triadic. There's no necessary connection between symbols and objects, between mathematics and logical schemes and reality. There are you need an interpreter. Reality is a trinitarian. It's triadic. It's it's uh, and uh, if you see people saying that now I got an AI system that that uh, is binary, uh, you know that there's somebody back there manipulating the outcomes. Uh, there's got to be an interpreter, and and if it's if it's not, uh, if the interpreter isn't the person who's in charge of the AI, uh, it means that 
the biases in the system, the biases in the data selection, the biases in the pattern recognition algorithms are all actually producing the output. Well, we are up against our break. This has been great, George. Ron will pick it up on the other side of this break. want to remind those of you out there, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows as well. Uh, Mark Gandy is our Patreon sponsor of this. He gets a shout out from, for, uh, from us. We appreciate you, Mark, out there. Visit the soul of, I'm sorry, patreon.com slash TSOE to join our show on Patreon. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercial commercials plus bonus content go to patreon.com slash tsoe subscribe now and be free you're worth it streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well welcome back everybody we're here with our fourth interview with my 42 year mentor george gilder and his new book life after capitalism in this book, George, you use a wonderful metaphor uh, from Malcolm McLean's invention of the box containerization, yeah. and you tie it to information theory. Can you kind of walk us through that? It's brilliant. Well, I th- I th- thought, I mean, the real charge that would be made against an effort to reduce economics to information theory would be that uh, there's no that it leaves out everything important, all the production of coal and oil and solar panels and trucking trucks and and factories and all the important things of the world uh, elude uh, this information theory. And so that it's really all economics really has a material foundation. And, 
And so I was really delighted to read a book called The Box, and uh, which uh, tells the history of con containerization of, of uh, all the ports and trade of the world, and uh, where everything was reduced to a container that uh, this uh, trucker back in the 1930s was uh, frustrated that he had to take his truck to the dock and then unload all the uh, uh, contents of the truck and sort out all the uh, all, uh, uh, items that he was carrying and and uh before it could be loaded again on a tanker or some you know some boat that would uh, carry it to its destinations and and he thought well wouldn't it be better to just have the the truck just load the whole truck on the boat and uh and this gave him the idea of the container which is really analogous to the packet switching network that uh, is the foundation of the internet and the information age. And it really was the idea that uh, information could be broken up into little packets with addresses and dispatched everywhere across the network and be collected where anybody wants the packets. Uh, similarly, that same principle which underlied the internet also underlies our global trade, uh, which is employed by containers, the 20 foot equivalent unit, which is the container that can go on trucks or trains or planes or quite essentially everything is containerized now, packeted. And so we have a packet switch material network, which really anticipated the packet switched information network, but they both embody the same principle that um, makes, uh, that underlies our economy of abundance, of superabundance, as my friends, um, Marianne Tupi and Gail Pooley have uh, demonstrated. In their and book, Superabundance, you guys have, have interviewed Gail and Marion, and they are uh, they're really important figures. They are. The they're working. They, yeah, I, we think all you three deserve a Nobel Prize, by the way, for this work. I mean, it's amazing. Um, but George, even though that saved a bunch of time from the longshoreman unloading, you know, the, the old items and now just unloading the box. It, it's it not just a little time. If I can read it, it's 44,000 fold uh, <laughs> increase in the efficiency of of transmitting material objects around the world and and it it enabled world trade and thus much of our prosperity this uh understanding that the transmission of anything is essentially an information problem rather than a material problem it wasn't the weight of these items it was their material complexity that slowed down 
and bogged down all the ports of the world before the development of the TEU, the 20-foot equivalent unit container that was the packet of packet shipping as opposed to packet switching of the of the internet. And this is why you can't look at jobs, right? Because that doesn't really tell you anything about an economy. It, it might have uh, put some right. yeah. Right. Oh um, yeah. I mean it just vastly increased the number of people involved in world trade uh by uh increasing the efficiency of the shipping processes by I think it was 44,000 fold. Gail Cooley, who's now part of Discovery Institute, uh, did the calculation. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was something it, like that. Yeah. Um, you compare something that's going on right now uh, in Houston, Texas, at least with one company, you compare it to the outbreak of the semiconductor companies in the early 1980s, Jim Tour and Universal Matter. Tell yeah. us about this. This is a great story. Yeah. Well, um, today, you know, we got this worldwide, we got recycling barrels and tag, and which uh, opening up new complexity. They haven't learned the packet switching principle. So we got everybody uh, putting the paper and the plastic and the containers in different bags or different uh, boxes and it just and uh and still the more we uh, mandate recycling the bigger the giant island the size of texas of uh, plastic waste in the pacific grows and um uh and uh, meanwhile the all the governments of the world are trying to guarantee the future. They want to, you know, they got all these that by 2040, this is good. We're going to be trying to get rid of all fossil fuels by 2050. Everybody will be driving electric cars. Uh, you know, they, it's, they want to guarantee the future, which actually eclipses and prohibits the future. Uh, they, and they, uh, if they continue on their current path, uh, there will be no future. I mean, it's it, it, communism doesn't work, folks. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the entire uh, climate change movement is based on essentially a communist or a emergency socialist proposition. And when you when I say that. Uh, Entrepreneurship is surprise. Uh, my prime example in life after capitalism is Jim Tour, the great chemist at Rice University. He took over Richard Smalley's lab. Richard Smalley mm -hmm. won the Nobel Prize for discovering buckyballs and making innovations in carbon nanotubes and all these new discoveries that that together in my judgment promise a new carbon age as significant as the silicon age that we've been enjoying for the last 50 years and uh, the key 
um, element that's been discovered is graphene. And graphene is a, you all know graphene in part because whenever you use a lead pencil, you are, the lead pencil is graphite. And when you draw a light enough line with a lead pencil, you're depositing graphene on uh, the paper. A single layer of carbon atoms that is 200 times stronger than steel, as flexible as rubber, uh, a thousand times more conductive than copper, both electrically and thermally conductive. It's, uh, you mix it with concrete and it, uh, and you can use 30% less concrete to achieve the same structural uh, results. Uh, if you mix it with asphalt, uh, you don't get any potholes anymore because it, of its transmission of heat, its thermal conductivity is so uh, uh, extraordinary. It's, uh, it transmits signals so accurately that you cut a person's spine, or uh, and so far it's chiefly mice who've had their spines cut, and you insert a graphene link and uh, the signals continue to be transmitted so accurately that the spine doesn't know it's been severed and it refuses together again. And uh, the, it, it's a new nanocosm opening up as uh, Jim Tor has uh, declared. And it was discovered in 2004 and there was tremendous hype but uh, but it was created by either pencil lead or or by scotch tape on a block of graphite, and uh, they they couldn't produce it in volume. Uh, but uh, now, but what Jim Tor did is invented with his uh, uh, student from Vietnam, Dewey Long invented flash jewel heating that can uh, take any plastic waste, he regards that Texas uh, sized plastic waste island in the Pacific as a great resource. He doesn't recycle, he upcycles. And it can take any plastic resource or garbage, any food waste, anything, based on carbon and uh, convert it through a process of flash jewel heating into tons of perfect ribbons of, of uh, turbostratic graphene. That's graphene that possesses all these properties that we've described, possible superconductivity, uh, uh, just uh, it can increase the efficiency of almost any system by a factor of exponential factor of thousands. And, uh, and now it's available by the ton from a company called Universal Matter that he launched in, uh, in Houston. And it's, it, its headquarters is in Houston and Toronto now.
And uh, this suggests something about life after capitalism in the United States. Our venture community is so completely dominated by angling for the trillions on trillions of dollars of subsidies for alternative, for windmills and solar panels and other worthless uh, uh, devices that, uh, that, that they couldn't understand this, the importance of producing graphene by the ton. And so of the 16 companies, 18 companies now probably, that have emerged from his lab in Houston, uh, 14 of them are in Israel because Israeli venture capitalists really could see that they needed graphene. We, we may think that we're beyond uh, the need for new material science and invention, but uh, 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 Jim, Jim Tor said that he, he, he had to teach all these venture capitalists chemistry and it was a little beyond his, uh, his capabilities in a 20 minute uh, Pitch, uh, presentation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're back to your Israel test, right? That's yeah, great. it's the Israel test. It, yeah. uh, well, George, we need, against... we need Israel more than Israel needs us. It, that uh, is true. That is true. You're, it's your golden rule of capitalism. Uh, well, folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to askdsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors and Ed's employer, Sage. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise, and we have with us today George Gilder, author of the new book, Life After Capitalism. And folks, please read this book. It is just absolutely mind-bending. Uh, really, really think that you will enjoy it. So well-written. George, I have one more uh, question uh, about the, the book, and that is, um, help, help me understand uh, something that I, it, it didn't quite make sense to me. Um, and that is, you say that money should not be, a, or needs to be the measuring stick and not a magic wand, and I totally understand that. But then you talk about there's a problem with Bitcoin in that it is limited to 21 million of them rather than the ability to grow. And to me, that, that, uh, uh, it, that's a square circle in, in my mind. I'm sure it's not right. But what, what, what have I got wrong there? <laughs> what did you get wrong? I mean, if, if you invented Bitcoin, you're, the, you're a new Satoshi proposal. <laughs> I, get, I get people uh, call me and uh, say they're Satoshi. <laughs> it's happened several times over the years, and and I think it's still probably Craig Wright. Nobody wants it to be Craig Wright because he's kind of a rogue. But uh, but Bitcoin has a big flaw. The key flaw of Bitcoin is that it's uh, that it's scarce. I mean, it's it it's artificially scarce. It uh, it can only have twenty one million units. So all the changes in demand for Bitcoin get expressed in a gyrating price rather than in a expanded volume of uh, of currency. And so, uh, so the strategy that uh, so Bitcoin is a speculative asset rather than really a currency. And as a speculative asset, the strategy is HODL, hold on for dear life. And that's the sort of Bitcoin mantra. And, and, it's, uh, and it means that we still have to solve the problem of recreating a new global money to sustain a global economy of trade and knowledge and learning and, and, uh, and information age. So, so two thoughts on that. I guess, the, the, in theory, they can they can make a programming change to it because if as long as I think it's fifty one percent of the nodes agree that that uh, code change should be made, it should. Could they, I suppose, could alter it so that it could grow beyond the twenty one million. Would that be a solution? Or alternatively, what about just increasing the the number of decimal places on the on the other side so that we would get smaller and smaller units over time? Well, the smaller units don't help if the Value. I mean, it's a measuring st- money is a measuring stick, mm-hmm. uh, and it's uh, based on time, like all the other measuring sticks. Uh, and uh, the Paris System International, which uh, which keeps examples of the canonical kilogram, second, watt, joule. Um, lumen, uh, mole, all these key elements that enable global trade just as much as global trade and global supply chains are all enabled by these absolutely rigorous measuring sticks. And uh, in economics, the key measuring stick is uh, money. And uh, if money changes in its value massively from day to day as bitcoin does it can't really be a currency um, it uh 
because it, it can't measure. It's like, um, it's, and it's the problem of the idea that money is a commodity. Uh, commodities are measured by commodities are measured by commodities. It's, uh, it's a self-referential loop uh, that, uh, that means it can't be a reliable measuring stick. So, so time, yeah. time is, and I believe, you know, time is, is money is time in my view, essentially, that's what it is. That's what it, the role it plays is transmitting the real scarcity in our lives where uh, the past is immutable, the present is incalculable, the future is unpredictable, and we gotta, and this allows the expression of surprise as in the process of learning and the creation of new knowledge and wealth. So is it possible that, that, that Bitcoin could be adjusted to work or is it just, is, is fundamentally it, flawed? Well, it's, it, it's hard to ch change it because the miners all uh, are used to this current speculative asset. The holders of it, who came in late all want, wanted to leap up in value massively again. So, so there's a, all the interest groups that converge in Bitcoin really want to prevent it from becoming world money. So, so this, is, this is the paradox of Bitcoin. But I think cryptocurrencies will, over the next several years, emerge that really do begin to encroach upon the government monopoly of money, which is which they now use to uh, enact emergency socialism through emergency monetarism. And it's uh, it's it's a major problem. I mean, it's seven point eight trillion dollars a day of currency trading is necessary 7.8 trillion dollars a day every 24 hours to duplicate what the gold standard did automatically all around the world every all money was ultimately measured in gold well george we've got one minute left so i'm going to ask you an unfair question for one minute <laughs> <laughs> and that is, and this is just a, a quote from your article on the Huawei test. You say the root of our Huawei fears and fantasies is a profound breakdown of security on the internet, which sows paranoia everywhere. Since that, you published that article. They've only gotten more paranoid, haven't they? Yeah, they, they now worried about TikTok. I mean, it's it's that we should encourage capitalists in China. That in China, there's a big conflict between the. Communist Party and the capitalist energies of the Chinese people. We should be on the side of the Chinese people rather than on the side of the Communist Party suppressing them. And effectively, when we demonize a great telecom company like Huawei, which it is, uh, 170 countries, it's got, it, it didn't succeed by cheating. It succeeded by being a capitalist enterprise. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. As always, George, this is a great conversation. Really appreciate you being on the Soul of Enterprise. Ron, what do we got coming up next week? Next week, Ed, we have Robin Hansen. We're going to talk about property rights. All right. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours then. 
This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at noon Pacific time. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com. I'll have full show notes on George and where you can get his books. Also, you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.